0: This is Gary Barnett, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Enjoy.
1: Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. My name's Matt Boisclare, and it was another draw for Fulham this evening, as we pulled ourselves to within six points of Newcastle with a point at Turf Moor. There's 14 games left to catch up. Can we do it? It's Stato and Baldo with me tonight, and we'll also have a look ahead to Saturday's match with Sheffield United at the Cottage. So, let's go. Fulham. Right, lads. Well, Fulham were unsurprisingly unchanged from the side that won at Goodison Park on Sunday, and for once it was four four two versus four four two, which is quite a rare occurrence these days, particularly in the Premier League. It was a pretty uninspiring and, dare I say, dull opening twenty minutes, though. I wouldn't say either side was playing with caution, but there just weren't any openings at all. Perhaps our best chance to get in behind the Burnley defence was when Loftus Cheek failed to play Lukman in when we had three on two. Stato just frustrating.
0: Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that a midweek game in the middle of February against Burnley at Turf Moor would be a boring dull affair? Who, who would have thought it? But no, um, it was it was it was kind of a lot of half chances today that we saw. There wasn't kind of any clear chances. I'm thinking back to the game now, and I can't really recall us having tested Nick Pope at all. Really, like he made one or two simple saves, I think. So yeah, it was one of those types of games that if we got half chances, we kind of need to convert them into actual chances and try and take them. And that didn't materialize at all throughout the game, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, the game seemed to flow sort of as we expected it to flow. I don't think any of us were expecting this to be, you know, a 4-3 goal fest. So we we knew what we were getting ourselves in for is perhaps a little bit tougher and a little bit more of a slog than we were perhaps anticipating. But... We knew what Burnley were going to be. We know that Fulham aren't exactly the greatest, you know, aren't exactly the most thrilling side. So this is just basically par for the course for the most part.
1: Our passing wasn't as crisp as it usually is. We made a few mistakes and Burnley did obviously pose that aerial threat, which which they pose against every team. There's, There's nothing anybody can do against that. You know, you could be the best team in the world, but if Burnley get a corner, they've got a chance to score him. But I didn't really feel like we were up against it at any point. You know, there, there was a period in the first half where they kind of pinned us in and we weren't really getting many chances. But I, I don't know, I I felt like we did okay, even though it was just quite a dull game. What do you think?
2: We basically did the job that we were basically set up to do. I know you said it, that Um, We'll we'll touch on it later, but so long as we didn't concede the first goal, so long as we didn't crumble, and so long as we, you know, kept on the momentum as it were from from uh, Sunday's game, we always knew that we were going to be in with a chance because we know that we don't score in great numbers. So as long as we can keep the opposition's numbers down, we're in with a chance. So we did that. It's just the fact that we couldn't really deliver on the um, delivering in the other in the other end.
1: Well, we almost did. We tried something different from a corner, didn't we, in the first half? It ultimately had the same result as almost every other corner we've had this season. Uh Lutman picked out Mario Lamina on the edge of the box and Mario Lamina put his foot through it and put put the ball into orbit way over the crossbar. Stato, he had a lot of space and although it was a big ask, could he have done a little bit better with that finish? I mean, he's no Paul Skulls, but I felt like he, he had enough time to control that a bit better.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean... Uh you see a corner like that happen once every few seasons i think um, obviously paul scales was the kind of the the master of that and it was always going to be a big ask so it was kind of a speculative effort but it kind of showed to us that burnley it was a typical like burnley type game plan from them you know they suffocated us so we couldn't create our normal chances uh, they pinned us in our half so when we got um, corners like this you know, the best we could do is try and things outside the box, um, both both you know metaphorically and literally, and yeah, that's kind of just what Burnley do. They they restrict teams, and we weren't able to play our usual type of game, unfortunately.
1: We had a huge let off just before half time as well. There was that low cross um, which got a vital flip from the glove of Areola, which prevented Jay Rodriguez from sliding in and opening the scoring. It wasn't a save as such, but his intervention kept us in the game at half time. And Bobby Zamora even said at half time, it's it's little moments like that which make you think, could it be Fulham's night, Baldo?
2: Yeah, exactly. It was one of those heart in mouth moments that you think, oh, this could be one of the, you know, one of those days we've done so well getting to half time. Getting to half time at 0-0 is probably where you would want us to be. Obviously you want us to be ahead, but as long as we haven't conceded, then we're fine. But it is just one of those, right, we know that even though they haven't posed much of a threat, they can still do it, you know, in their, you know, poo housing type manner. So you always have to be on your guard. And luckily Ariola was he did he as well, didn't have the greatest of halves because he had that little bobbling moment um from an early corner. So but still proved that when, when we need him the most, he comes up he comes up clutch.
1: I don't know. I thought he did all right in the first half. I think, if anything, Anderson got in his way when he was trying to, when he came out to try and grab the ball. But, you know, thankfully the ball didn't end up in the back of the net. And that was the main thing. At half time, I was kind of thinking, all right, it's nil nil at the moment. But I can see the way this game's going to go. Burnley will get a corner with, a, with about half an hour to go, swing it in. Somebody massive will come up and lump it into the back of the net. And then maybe they'll add a second one towards the end. So, it was a surprise when we did take the lead. Stasso, what were you thinking at half time?
0: Yeah, so I was kind of echoing the thoughts of Baldo a lot there, which is, you know, kind of get to half time at 0 0. Um, the setup we had, the 4 4 2, it was working okay, but I couldn't see us scoring anytime soon. Couldn't see us conceding either. I think, you know, at half time, we needed to change things up a bit. I would have, you know, and that's what happened. I, I, my thoughts were to kind of bring. Bobby Deco read out wide rather than through the middle. We could, we could use his energy out on that right to go against the Burnley left-back and we could bring Loftus-Cheek through the middle, use his physicality, get him into the game a bit more because at right mid, he kind of wasn't effective at all. And that's what happened and it, it kind of worked at the beginning of the second half and then obviously we did get that goal.
1: Yeah, and let, let's come on to the goal. I mean, it's... Hilarious, isn't it? That a team that never scores from corners scores a goal from a corner against a team renowned for scoring for corners. Baldo, talk me through the goal.
2: It was a huge slice of luck, is the only really way you can put it because there is no way that Ola Aena is intending to chest that straight into the goal. He's probably thinking he's probably thinking he wants to take a touch and maybe lay it off to someone or maybe have a chance himself. But he just gets a lucky deflection. And then was it Matt Lowton on the goal? It was someone on the goal line. Um scuffs it, and it goes in. My only question is, which goal was more hilarious to watch? Was it that one, or was it Matt Ritchie's up at Newcastle's? Because it's a, it's a bit of a tight one in my mind. But either way, just glad to have them both go in. It
0: was actually Robbie Brady um, on the line there, and he had an absolute stinker of a game. He came on as a sub in the first half with the injured um, Johan Berg-Goodenson. Because he did a corner within the first minute, picked up a yellow card, did that, and then got subbed off. It was a terrible performance from him, Just which was great for us, really. Yeah, he was only on the pitch about twenty minutes, wasn't he? But I,
1: th- I think first of all, that didn't come off Olaina's chest; it came off his belly, came off his gut, if you can call it that. If you can, if you can say a professional footballer's got a gut. But
2: Shevchuk would take up, would take you <laughs> up on
1: that. <laughs> yeah, he definitely would. Yeah, um, but he he did adjust, and it came at him really quickly. But if you watch it in slow motion, he's turned his body, and he's meant to do it. It's come at him really quickly, but he's just directed the ball and diverted the ball towards goal and you know second goal of the season and fair play to him it was it was right at the right time just after half time however the last thing we needed after that was to concede and that's exactly what happened was it poor defending from Adarabaya sorry from Toshin, or was it just great skill from Rodriguez out on the right wing
0: I would go with the former there and say it was quite poor defending. He kind of got nutmegged very easily. There's a lot of questionable um, kind of short There was a lot of questionable choices made by our defence there before in the lead up to the goal. The positioning of them was all over the place. You don't normally see Burnley get a goal on the counter attack like that. And Ashley Barnes had so much space. It was just a really weird thing that happened in a very quick space of time. And suddenly we're back to 1 0. It was just a really, yeah, just a weird goal to concede.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of blame that needs to go around Adrabayo. I think there is some level of you know good skill from Jay Rodriguez for that. You have to give him some credit for that. But at the same time, Adrabayo could have done better, probably shouldn't have you know tried to dive in like that. And at the same time, I saw someone on Twitter having a go with Anderson for his positioning, keeping Ashley Barnes on side. Because I know as soon as the goal went in, I in the VAR world I saw wait because it was a pretty close one. But again, Anderson's positioning there, if he'd have just stepped up a little bit you know, keep and keep uh, Ashley Barnes offside, then maybe we'd have been able to get away with it. So I think there's a lot of blame that needs to go around.
1: All right. Well, after that, Burnley were then on top. So we made a change on the hour. On came Anguita for Mario Lamina, which I felt was quite a good move as Lamina was giving the ball away a fair bit. But he wasn't the only one giving the ball away. Um, our passing was particularly poor once Burnley equalised, wasn't it? And then they had that spell status.
0: Yeah, for sure. I thought bringing Anguice on was the right move. As I mentioned at half-time, moving to a kind of a midfield three was kind of the right move and Lamina, he wasn't having the best of games. So I thought, you know, it would be a good chance for Anguice to come on. Um, he's good at retaining the ball. He's good at bringing the ball forward. So I thought, you know, we'd see more of that. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. But yeah, in general, the passing was just well, just well, well off today. Um, I'm trying to find what our pass accuracy was. I think it was in the 60s or something like that, which... We're normally up in the high 70s. So that goes to show just how poor everyone was today. I, I don't think, I'm trying to think, I can't think, I don't think anyone had a particularly good game for us um, in the attack nor the defence. So yeah, it was just a scrappy, scrappy game.
2: I think for the most part, though, that came down to what Burnley were doing. As we said, we know what Burnley are, we know they're a stout defence. And as soon as they got the equaliser and their job was effectively done, because as the guys on Sky were saying, a draw works better for them than it does for us. They set out to frustrate us, and you know, credit to them, it worked incredibly well. That's why you know they were pressuring us, and that's why our passes were going all over the place. So there is probably some level of it comes down to us, but I think credit you have to give credit to Burnley as well for putting us in those positions.
1: They are very good at home, um, although we seem to be quite good away from home now. I think was that our sixth game unbeaten away from home in a row.
2: Yeah, something along those lines. And Sky something like sixty. This is the Stato area, but sixty-one percent of our points this season have come away from home. Something along those lines. So it's certainly a change of pace from where we used to be in the Premier League, where we'd you know, 05, 06, where we only won one game, or we didn't win a game away from home, or we'd only win one. So we've, we've improved, but just not improved enough.
1: Yeah, the the sixty-one percent thing isn't that much of a surprise when you consider that we've only won once at home all season, though. which has to change. That has to change this weekend. Anyway, we'll come on to that shortly. Um, Cavalero was next to come on for Bobby Reid's Stato, 23 minutes to go. By now, Ruben Loftus-Cheek had moved from the right to up front um, alongside Josh Madger. So Cav played down the right and he looked a bit better in his preferred position, I thought. I thought he came on and had quite an impact. Um, He dug out a decent chance for Loftus-Cheek, but his, his header kind of came at him a bit too quickly and he skewed it wide. How do you think Cavalero did?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think he was he was a bit of a bright spark when he came on, which is not what you expect from Cavalero in recent weeks. Um, but like I said, it's probably because we're playing him out in the wing rather than up top. When he came on, he was running up players, he was taking the money, he was getting crosses in, and it was good to see. And I think it's quite unfortunate that kind of that's the only attacking change we could make given the sub choices we had on our bench. We had five defenders, and then Anguisa, Onimo, and Cavallero, and it's. You know, you can question the whole getting rid of Cabana and Kamara, but I don't think that would have made a difference anyway. But there is a slight concern that we may be a bit light in attacking options off the bench now. Obviously, we have Mujovic coming back, but that's only one extra player. So, you know, for me, there's a small concern that when there are, there'll be other games like this where we're trying to find a winner and we're trying to change things up. And there's, you know, there tends to be limited options from the bench.
2: Will I do think able- that that some sorry, Fred. I didn't use say Mitrovic options off the bench. I do think there will come a stage where Mitrovic and Major will play together, personally. I think yeah, if we're playing with this 4 4 2, it just makes sense to have a centre forward and a you know striker, as it were, playing together. So the options off the bench aren't really going to change. We think it's still going to be the likes of Cavallero and you know, maybe Bobby Reed coming off the bench. It's not going to be that drastic of a change, at least in my mind.
1: Sometimes those sort of players are quite handy to have at your disposal on the on the bench because they're the sort of players that can come on and add a bit of pace, a bit more flair to the attack and potentially change a game as opposed to the likes of Mitrovic coming on, which I've never really been a fan of that sort of player coming on to, to change a game. He's the sort of player who should be starting if he's fit. But anyway, we've done that debate to death. Um, speaking about um, who else is on our bench, it was Anthony Robinson who was the last substitute that came on with about 10 minutes to go, he came on for Kenny Tete. I can only assume that Kenny Tete was
0: absolutely shattered, as he'd had a fairly decent game, in my mind. Yeah, so I think it's it's kind of all I mentioned in the team chat. All these subs kind of like for like, but then you look at what, again, you look at the options and what else can Parker do to change things up. So, you know, we brought on Cavalera for Reid, right winger for a right winger bought an Angiès for Lamina, centre-mid for a centre-mid, and then we bought on a fullback for a fullback. Admittedly, there was a small tactical change there and that Aina went over to right-back and then Robinson solicited at left-back. But, you know, what else could he have done? You know, maybe he could have bought an Onema for Anguissa, an on- for uh, Loftus-Cheek, because Loftus-Cheek was done, wasn't having the best game. But there wasn't really much else he could have done, really, there. So... Yeah, it was just kind of a. I like the ludd change. Good to get Robinson some minutes again because he's missed out the last game. But yeah, it was just a bit of a uninspired change.
1: I, I think I'd have been more inclined to leave Tete on. I thought he was getting getting up the pitch and he was looking likely to to create something. I mean, I think he worked quite well with Caballero when Caviero came on. And I don't know, there, there was ten minutes to go. The chances are it wouldn't have made any
0: difference anyway. But I would have liked to have seen him stay on. Definitely, um, I, and like I said, you said you, you think he might have been shattered, but he didn't look too tired to me. Maybe Parker has one eye on the Sheffield United game coming up the weekend, he wants to make sure he's fit and firing for that. But hey, we we'll, we'll just we just we just don't know. It's uh, three games in seven days,
1: isn't it? So yeah, it's um, it's quite a grueling schedule, especially when you need to be picking up points in all these games. Um, there was a big chance for Adamola Lutman, who'd had quite a quiet game or ineffective game, let's say on the left big chance for him towards the end about a minute to go um i think Josh Madger squeezed the ball over to him um, just inside the penalty box at an angle and he had quite a bit of time and he failed to hit the target he was trying to bend it round the keeper into the top corner but he ended up bending it into the stand that was that was a big big chance and a real chance to win it's uh, Bulldo, wasn't it
2: yeah, it's one of those where it it goes down as you know should have done better. So sort of thing. you mm. had the time. It wasn't as if he was totally rushed, and there was the option. I don't know. I really only saw one replay, but there was also the option to play across into measure in the box. Um. So yeah, but yeah, maybe caught in two minds. But yeah, should have done better in in either sense. At least test the goalkeeper in that situation. That's all we can yeah.
1: ask Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Um, well, let's come on to a man of the match then, if you can pick one. I think I'd give it to Kenny Tete myself, which is why I was so surprised that he ended up going off. Any advances on Kenny Tete?
0: Um, it's a it's a tough one. Cause, uh, as I mentioned, I don't think anyone played particularly well. No one played particularly bad, but it wasn't kind of one that excelled. Maybe Aina, because he did score and he had a fairly solid game at left back and then moved up to right back. And, of course, Harrison reed he just did his usual job of running around and doing his job as usual. So I think, for me, they're the top three candidates for Man of the match.
2: I'll, st- I'll stick with Tete, I think. Fair. As 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 Stato said, no one really stood out, but Tete just seemed to be solid. I think in a, in a newspaper rating, they'd all get sixes, and you wouldn't really be shocked with that.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. And a Scott Parker rating from you both, please.
2: On the same line, I'll go with a six. I think mean, you get some credit for keeping the starting line up the same. You know, some of it is sort of forced on him because of injuries and what have you. But I do think the substitutions and the way he managed the game was, it wasn't great. I know you've said that he didn't have much options, but the three subs were like, were in effect, like for like. So there wasn't really any attacking emphasis, even if it was something like if you'd have brought Caviero on for Aina earlier in the game, so you get rid of a fullback bringing on a winger. Just anything like that to give you more of an attacking feel to the game rather than you know, rather than basically three similar positions would have got more credit. So I'm going to give a six.
1: Do you think that he just didn't want to lose the game rather than wanting to go all out and win it?
2: I think I think there is some element to that, but you hope it isn't because we are pretty much in, in every you know, seven points. You know, was a difference at the start of the game. We are in, and especially in a game like this, these are games where we are in must-win territory rather than must not lose.
1: Yeah, and that's that's exactly what this game is. Not not only because Burnley are kind of down there in the mix, but just because of you know we still got a, a, an outside chance of catching them. Um, Plus the, you know, you, you look ahead after the Sheffield United and the Crystal Palace game, and it's Liverpool, Man City, so very, very tricky games. Um, Stato, how about you? What are you giving Scott Parker out of ten for this?
0: Yeah, sure. So of course, you know, after the high of that Everton game, we came into this game trying to, and expecting a win because you know we've never won a good, good to the Park. We got a wins, so and there's like, oh, we're going to get that winner turf more now against you know not the best Burnley side. And you know that was our tenth draw of the season now, and you can kind of you, you can kind of categorise our draws into either you know the two point lost category or point gained, and you know the Liverpool, the Tottenham draw, they're definitely the point gained, and then you know they got the Brighton and the Southampton ones, which are probably two points dropped, and I think this one probably falls more into the whole one point gain category. On the face of the game, we didn't really do enough to try and win. Um, but, you know, we didn't particularly look like losing either. Um, so, for, so for that reason, I think, yeah, like a six, seven out of 10 for Parker. He didn't do anything wrong. I think he was limited by the options he had on the bench to try and influence it and change it for the win. I think he was trying to go for a win. But, you know, it was always, it's always going to be tough to get a second goal against a stubborn Burnley side at turf ball.
1: Yeah, agreed, agreed. I mean, you Okay, we say this sort of stuff, or I say this sort of stuff all the time. But on another day, Adarabayo gets his leg uh, an inch or two in a different position and stops that ball from going past him, and you know they don't get that that equaliser. And Scott Parker can't play that that game for him. I think the way that we set up was all right. Um, to, to go ahead at Burnley was was quite an achievement. I didn't I didn't expect us to, to take the lead, and um, certainly not that quickly in the second half. Um, maybe maybe you know midway through the first half or something. So yeah, I, again, I, I I definitely give him a six as well. I think um, I had that chance from Lutman gone in at the end, we're probably looking at eight, aren't we? But but it didn't. So uh, we, as I always say, this is only a bit of fun. We're we're just trying to. Um, Pull some content, a bit more content out of the game by, by analysing what the manager could and couldn't have done. But I'm not sure what else he could have done today. So six is maybe a bit harsh, but we wanted three points and we only got one. So them's the breaks. All right. So that's Burnley out the way for the season, thank God, or Burnley away out the way at least. So it's on to Sheffield United at home next. Fulham.
0: Right, Stato, you've got some stats for us, I believe. I do indeed. Um, and as the bottom team in the Premier League, it, it's pretty grim reading for Sheffield United. Like I, Recently, I did the stats for West Ham and they were probably one of the most improved teams in the Premier League from last season. And Sheffield United are almost kind of the polar opposites of this. So, you know, for context, last season they finished ninth. They're getting 1.4 points per game scoring at least one goal a game, conceding just one goal, and they kept uh, clean sheets in 34% of their games. This season, at 24 games, however, it couldn't be like more different. They're now guessing just 0.5 points per game, scoring just 0.6, less than a goal a game, and conceding a whopping 1.7 goals per game, and they've kept clean sheets in just 4%, which equates to just one game this season. So I think there's kind of an expectation that we should at least score one goal here because if we don't, then there's something wrong with us. Um, Looking at kind of their record on the road so far, they've lost 10 out of 12 away games this season, um, accumulating only four points from those other two games. And they've only scored six goals in away games this season and have conceded 22. Although, despite being the bottom team in the Premier League, um, you know their defensive stats. They're conceding a lot of goals, but it's not actually the worst defensive record out there in the Premier League. You know you've got West Brom who're conceding far more goals. They have a far worse goal difference. And if we look into their stats in more detail, you know they rank eighth in terms of shots faced per game with 13.1 shots. Um, for comparison, we're tenth in this regard. So we face an average of about 11.8 shots per game. So it's a similar amount of shots. They just kind of let a few more in. Um, They rank third, so quite highly in terms of fouls committed per game of 12.4. So I can see us getting quite a lot of free kicks. And although we scored from a set piece against Burnley, we really need to be kind of converting and getting more goals from set pieces. I think this game could be the perfect opportunity for that. And also quite interestingly, they're joint top of Fulham in terms of yellow cards uh, acquired per game. So we average one9 yellow cards per game which is the highest in the league as do Sheffield United so yeah there's a lots of opportunities there for us to score and as mentioned we kind of have to score because the stats show it and they're also the bottom team and it's a must win game Um, So if we look into kind of their key players this season, their goalkeeper, Ramsdale, he's played every game for them this season, which means all 40 goals that they've conceded so far are conceded by him. He's made a lot of questionable errors um, since his big money move from Bournemouth. In defence, which is where they were so good at last year, they've obviously lost Jack O'Connell since the start of the season. Um, And they've also, by the looks of things, they've got a nasty injury to the uh, one of the other key centre backs in John Egan, who got a horrible injury against West Ham on Monday, um, so that's a good big bonus for us. I think we can expect to see Chris Basham line up in the defence along with Ethan Ampadu, who Bordeaux was a big fan of, due to you know, the whole Welsh connection. Big thumbs up from him there. Um, and you know, they could this could because of all their defensive injuries, they could kind of be swayed away from their five at the back and go to a four at the back which would be kind of unheard of um, from Sheffield United in the Premier League they've always stuck with five at the back they've always stuck with the overlapping centre-backs so they've got quite a big injury crisis and we need to kind of take advantage of that and then in attack uh, this is kind of where a lot of their problems lie they don't really have the most mobile and you know agile strikers, their top scorer is a 33-year-old David McGoldrick who's probably a championship striker at best at the moment. He's got five goals. He's used to kind of that big target man who holds up and brings others into play. And then the second top scorer is a 35-year-old Billy Sharp and he's got three goals and two of those are penalties including one against us in the reverse fixture earlier this season. And then, you know, their big money signing in Rian Brewster, he hasn't even scored a goal or got an assist yet. So, you know, it really hasn't clicked for them in attack and, you know, we, should, we should be able to deal with them comfortably on Saturday. Well, let's hope
1: so. So the harsh reality of the fact for us is that we've got 14 games left to rescue ourselves, and we're currently six points behind Newcastle. Can we do it?
2: I think we can. And in a weird way, the result tonight doesn't really change much because if you look at it, we were seven points and we have the uh, goal difference advantage on Newcastle. So really, if we were to catch them, we only needed two wins and one draw rather than three wins. So in effect, the, the job itself hasn't changed all that much. We still, you know, in the, in this three games to catch them up, two wins, one draw, we've got, the, we've got the draw. We'd have wanted to win, but we got the draw. So our job really hasn't changed. And we've got some favourable games coming up, let's put it that way. Sheffield United, as Arthur said, we should, MCS on should be able to deal with them quite comfortably. But you know what we're like. And then after that is Crystal Palace, who seem to be on a terrible slump right now. And then Newcastle don't exactly have the best of fixtures. So if we are going to get, if we are going to catch up, we can do it. But it's these next two games are really going to define what you know what sort of chance we have because after that you know I think it's Man City and Liverpool afterwards so if we're going to do it it's these two games otherwise that's it are
1: Newcastle the team to catch those Stato do you think all right they're they're the nearest to us at the moment but do you see anybody else getting sucked down into this because we play before Newcastle. It's it's way too early in the season to be talking like this, but let's talk like it anyway. We play before Newcastle this weekend. So let's say for argument's sake we do beat Sheffield United. That gap is then only three points. We've still got to play Newcastle on the last day of the season, which could be a shit or a bus game, couldn't it? Um so do you see anybody else being dragged into this or is it is it
0: them? Yeah, so I think at, you know at the start of this week after that Everton win, everyone was kind of daydreaming that by the time that Newcastle play again, we could be within one point of them if we got wins at Burnley and Sheffield United. Hasn't turned out like that, but it's not the end of the world. There's still 14 games to go, and obviously as you mentioned, you know we got Newcastle on the last day of the season, so everyone's kind of thinking, yeah, if we can catch up to them, it's either them or us. And I'm just looking at the table now and looking at the other teams. You've got Brighton who are now unbeaten in five games with. Two, those two wins you, you'd think that them have enough to get away burnie today I you know they were nothing special and you'd think they could get drawn into it but then at the same time you know a more a few more kind of tough turf more performances from them could see them called, pulled to safety but you never know you know it could all kind of fall apart for them Crystal Palace our team I'm looking at they are on 29 points they are 10 points ahead of us yes but they're in terrible form at the moment you know they are just losing, They've lost two on the bounce now. They are without Zaha. I don't know for how long they are without him. The longer they are without him, the better for us. It'd be, I'm not sure if we'll be back in time when we play them in two weeks' time. Uh, we'd like to hope he is, because if he is, I, I think that's a nice, easy win for us, because without him, they're nothing. And also, one to kind of keep an eye on, I don't think there'll be any trouble, but South Hanson now, they've lost six on the bounce. The longest they've lost—it's the longest run of games they've lost in a row. They are also, they're also—they're on 29 points. I, I don't think they'll be—you uh, know—they'll be down there with us. I think they'll kind of get their shit together, and Danny Ings will start scoring again. But yeah, whilst whilst you know there's teams within 10 points of us, I think there's every chance that they could fall into the relegation battle. But for them to do that, it's all on us as the 18th place team to pull other teams into the battle by getting points. And catching up to them
1: yeah you're right at the end of the day if we win 14 on the bounce then we're safe (laughs) but the fact that we've only won three all season probably doesn't bode well for for winning those last 14 games in a row but anyway um let's start off with the Sheffield United game on Saturday then Baldo any changes would you make to the to the starting lineup
2: the only change i I would make and I've sort of hinted at it and it does depend on whether or not Alexander Michovic is back, because we know he's going through COVID protocol. We don't know when he's going to be back. Yada yada yada. If he is back, I think he starts. Because I think the you know that that those brief spells that he gave showed that he is worthy of a place in the side. So I think he will start depending on that. That will probably be the only change I envision making if he's fit. Other than that. Even including the bench will be the same, so I don't. I don't see any. I don't see why Park would change it, and I also don't see how Park could change it just because of the, you know, the the um options that we have available to us or lack thereof.
1: How about for you, Stato?
0: Yeah, I think I agree mostly with what Baldo Says you, you keep the defence. Uh, maybe you know there's a claim for Robinson to come back into the team, so we have a natural left so in that left back position. Midfield, Lamina Reed, they're solid in that midfield two together. Um, you know, I'd be I'd be quite happy to see the same starting eleven, but in terms of tactics, I'd rather I'd like to quite see Bobby Reed go out on the right and Loftus Cheek in the middle. I don't think Loftus Cheek is a right midfielder. We all know he's not he's not a winger, he's very much a centre midfielder, he's a good centre midfielder, and if we play him in his position, I think he'll will, he will excel a lot more than how he's playing at the moment. So I'd love to see that, you know, having play either as kind of a second striker behind Madger or a bit further back in that number 10 row and have Bobby read out wide. I think that's the only kind of difference I'd like to see on Saturday.
1: OK, let's wrap up then. Let's go for a score prediction, Baldo.
2: I think the easiest part, the easiest part of it is predicting Sheffield United nil. I think we can get that much pretty much out of the way. The only thing is how many are we going to score? I don't think it's going to be that many. I think we can produce something, but we haven't really produced in numbers most of the part of the season. So I'll go for a 2-0 personally. I'll go for a 2-0.
1: Okay, I'm going to go for 2-1 just simply because you've just said that Sheffield United won't score. So they're definitely going to score. Now you said that. um, And I expect it will be that Ryan Brewster that scores after Stato said that he hasn't scored or got an assist yet. So let's go with that.
2: If only there were a word to describe that sort of feeling, but we're not allowed to say that on this podcast, are we?
0: (laughs)
1: How about you, Stato?
0: Yeah, so this is a game that we definitely have to win. Um, The Everton game gave us that great momentum that we need to carry forward. I don't think the Burnley game has taken that momentum away in in any way. Much like the Leicester, like when we got that Leicester win, you know, there was kind of that emphasis of we need to kick on and get some wins, get some points on the board, and that didn't quite happen. We got a lot of draws, but no wins. So this time around we got that Everton win. We need to kind of carry that on with more wins and what better way to do it than to beat the twentieth place team at the moment. And we have to get that win because I think if we don't, then you know, that could have kinda of could be one nail in the coffin for us because yeah, If we can't beat the Boston team in the Premier League, then what hope do we have of staying up? Um, so in that regards, I think it would just be a nice little 2-0 win. We, you know, we, we're, not scoring, we're not a free-scoring team at the moment. Um, so I can't see us getting 3-4-0. A 2-0 will be a nice result and a nice win for us.
1: You've got to remember, Sheffield United, not so long ago, beat Manchester United at
0: Old Trafford just a couple of weeks ago. So this isn't going to be the walk in the park. That they, they, did, they did, they did. And, you know, it's also worth pointing out, there's a stat that I forgot to mention in that, you know, a lot of their go, a lot of their games, they've only been lose, they've only lost by one goal. Um, uh, here we are, it's, yeah, six of their 19 defeats this season have come from a goal margin of more than one. So, you know, the remaining 13, they've been one nils, two ones. So, you know, for the team in the bottom of the Premier League, they haven't actually been playing that bad. They've just been a bit unlucky and they just lack that bit of Premier League quality. Um, I don't think come the end of the season they will finish bottom. I think, you know, West Brom are the bottom team. Sheffield United will probably come 19th. So, you know, like like I said, they are the bottom team we expect to beat them. But, you know, they're still quite a decent outfit. That'll be tough to break down. And, you know, we shouldn't kind of go into that game expecting a win. We still need to kind of be cautious. We need to be aware. And, you know, we need to be tackling it like any other game. And I think Parker knows that. I think the player, players know that as well. So... I don't think that's too much of a concern. Like you say, though,
1: it is must-win. You can't go winning at Everton. You can't go winning at uh, Leicester, and then slip up against the bottom team if you've if you're serious about staying up. We've still got enough time to do this. Um, I thought that, that it was game over a couple of weeks ago, and it seems we're still in it. So you know we've 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 got to see this team off on Saturday to start with. All right, well that's that then. The next show will be out on Monday morning where we'll have a look back over the Sheffield United games. So speechy then. Cheers.